are on the line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on foxsports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7500. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn, ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Happy Pseudo Monday. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Welcome back from what I hope was a great Memorial Day weekend. We appreciate everybody joining us on the line. Lance, how was your weekend, my man? It was pretty good. It was pretty good. It was nice to get a three-day weekend where I could just kind of sit, hang out with the fam, relax. It was It was great. Also, remember all of those fallen soldiers who paid the price so that we may have freedom as well. And just we didn't get to talk about that a whole lot on Friday. And so I just want to take the time to say thank you to all those who are currently serving and have served in the military. Uh, we, we sincerely do appreciate your service. And it's another week now on On the Line. And that also marks today is June 1st. It is the beginning of a busy month. At least that's what it's been pegged as a busy month. For Auburn football recruiting, the Tigers having now players step onto campus, whether it be official or unofficial visits today, several unofficial visits for Auburn football. But in addition to that recruiting news, you already see the commitment of Central Michigan transfer running back Jordan Ingram, the brother of former Alabama basketball player Dazon Ingram, now coming to the Tigers, a former Mobile running back prospect. I think he was ranked the 25th best prospect entirely across the whole state of Alabama not just running back but just 25th best prospect in the state of Alabama a former three-star choosing to transfer to the Tigers and come back closer to home yeah that's right uh three-star running back out of St. Paul's ran for almost 1400 yards and 18 touchdowns as a senior at St. Paul's he initially signed with Central Michigan last season but he didn't get any playing time with the Chippewas in his first freshman year so I think he, he was gray-shirted which is worse oh man gracious and so no wonder he transferred out of the program and you know Auburn Auburn had been going after him for 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 a month or so here and they finally got him to to commit initially I had seen that he would be a preferred walk-on but according to Auburn rivals he will be on scholarship so that's another addition to this Auburn program that needs depth at running back especially moving forward he was ranked as nationally as a recruit according to 24-7 sports composite He was ranked 563rd nationally, 25th best prospect in the state of Alabama, and then 28th best athlete in the entire country, a part of that class. Where does he stack up on this depth chart for you at running back? Because this is the second running back added this offseason for Auburn, in addition to Jarquez Hunter out of the state of Mississippi, who I have a feeling that Auburn views as a better prospect it seems that Auburn may be a little bit higher on Jarquez Hunter maybe than they are on Jordan Ingram well when you look at Auburn's running backs uh, stable right now they go five deep after initially being kind of you know Tank Bigsby Sean Shivers and then that was kind of it they added Devin Barrett switched him over to running back and they've got Jarquez Hunter and Jordan Ingram so you have at the top of your order you've got Bigsby and obviously he's going to be your starter then you have Shivers who's kind of been that complimentary back to Tank Bigsby's style of running then you have guys like De- Devin Barrett and Jarquez Hunter who were addi- who again 
Barrett transferred over position-wise, and then Jarquez committed late in this 2020 class. And then you have Jordan Ingram, who is another three-star like Jarquez Hunter. Like you mentioned, I think whenever this coaching staff is bringing in more and more additions after they get new guys, I don't necessarily think it's an immediate indicator of the guys that they initially got aren't good enough, and so they're going to go after more. But I do think it's worthy to note that they're bringing in somebody else to kind of fill out this running back room. And as I mentioned earlier, moving forward, I think it's crucial for Auburn because once Tank Bigsby leaves and and Sean Shivers leaves, they're, they they got to be able to have somebody that's heading into their junior or sophomore season that's been able to get some legitimate touches. And so I think this is I think this is a good move for Auburn. And even if Ingram doesn't end up being a starter one day. They still had to replace the litany of running backs that transferred out of the program after Gus Malzahn was fired. Auburn had to replace two or three different guys that transferred. I believe it was three running backs that transferred out of the running back room. Mark Anthony Richards, DJ Williams. Am I forgetting another? I I am forgetting another. I feel like like I can't remember who it is. Uh, Harold Joyner had left just previously before that. Harold Joyner as well. And I still feel like you're missing another one. There's a lot of players that left. There was a lot of players. I think it, no, I think that's right. Dylan, behind the board, research department, get on it, my man. He's going to go research that for us and then get back to us about it. But obviously the headliners there, you lose Mark Anthony Richards, you lose DJ Williams, you lose Harold Joyner, and then I have a feeling we're forgetting someone just completely obvious at the moment. But still, you had to replace three running backs right there out, out of a running back room where all three of those guys – saw touches at some point in their career not as much Mark Anthony Richards until the Alabama game last year but DJ Williams saw significant touches and then Harold Joyner was worked into some specific packages guys for the future you 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 lost all that and now Auburn's trying to fill it back out I don't know if Jordan Ingram Devin Barrett well Devin Barrett definitely not because he's towards the end of his career at Auburn he's only got a year or two left of eligibility but I don't know if Jordan Ingram and Jarquez Hunter are the answer for the future after Tank Bigsby, but they had to fill out the running back room a little bit. Right. And at this point, at this juncture in the recruiting cycle, as far as transfers are concerned for the transfer portal, which is where Ingram comes from, and then the late nature of when this coaching staff finally filled out its coaching uh, its coaching search for all of the assistants and whatnot, when the staff was finally put together, we were only a couple of weeks out from signing day. They really didn't have enough time, and they still did an amazing job, I felt like, to get them inside the top 25, but the options at running back were limited at that point that late in the game, so that's where Jarquez Hunter comes from. The running back room, now at least it has bodies. I think that's what I think that's what your takeaway is on this. I think it's the most important thing. It's just depth for, for the moment and for moving forward, because I don't think I agree with you. I don't think Hunter or Ingram, and especially Barrett, considering he's only got one more year of eligibility after this season, I don't think any of them are the, the, the bell cow back answer at running back. And I, I'm going to assume that Tank Bixby stays one more year after this season, which would mean two years from now, Barrett would have graduated well he's got to Bigsby's only a sophomore this year right right he 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 will have he will not have rather Devin Barrett Jarquez Hunter will be heading into what will presumably be his sophomore year right and then you have a guy like Jer- uh, with Ingram who will also will he be he will he be a sophomore next season he's or got he- four years of athletic okay. eligibility remaining including this year so this upcoming season he'll technically be a sophomore and Auburn's got to be able to add somebody not from the transfer portal that is a true freshman, that is a four-star-ish running back that can that can be the next bell cow back after Bigsby because I don't see it in any of these guys. I see these guys as secondary backs or third down backs. They really seem to like Jarquez Hunter. Let's go to the research department here. Dylan, behind the controls for us, you found some information on the running back room? 
Uh, yeah, so we only lost three. Did and it was Joyner, Williams, Joyner, and Richards. Mark Anthony, DJ Williams, two okay. of which went to Florida schools. There well, you go. I'm glad we I'm glad we figured that out. There you go. That's right. Well, let's look around at some of the other things going on on campus visits. They're back in college football. We already talked a little bit about that being a big deal for Auburn because they already have uh, several guys on campus, not just football but basketball as well today. Why is this so important for Auburn this month of June, getting on campus recruiting back and really ratcheting, ratcheting it up? this month well I think the number one thing that a lot of Auburn fans would say is like well it's really really hard to sell what Auburn sells well if you're not doing it in person which is the family aspect of the program it's the talent itself it's the community it's just that this is an Auburn family and you're going to be able to join this family whenever you commit to our program I think it's really hard to do that if you can't actually get to see it in person see the tangible aspects of this community and like actually get to be involved in it physically it's really hard to do that and then another thing is as Auburn was kind of already behind the eight ball as far as recruiting goes because you look at what Auburn's doing as far as their their coaching staff goes they're, they're trying to break in a bunch of different new guys they're trying to get them comfortable in this recruiting landscape and even though everybody's kind of starting anew with this dead period being over Auburn is is very their, their coaching staff is very very new outside of maybe Mason and Bobo to, to the recruiting landscape, and they got to be able to get that figured out. And I think it's really important for Auburn to get all they, the help they can get as far as the dead period being, being over. They need all the help they can get in trying to get some of these recruits on campus. They're trying to go out there and compete with Georgia and Alabama day one. Everybody's kind of on an even playing field right now, as far again, as far as in-person recruiting goes. But it's really important that Auburn gets this so that they can, can, can get out to somewhat of a lead for the guys that they have in state, in my opinion. When I look at Auburn recruiting, the pitch is simple. The pitch is selling Auburn's campus. It's one of the most beautiful campuses in all of college football. And do, how much do recruits really care about how pretty a campus is? At the end of the day, if you could send a guy to the league like Alabama is, it really doesn't weigh out that much. But what I'm trying to get at here is you have to get guys on campus for Auburn football because they're selling the experience they're selling the auburn experience they're selling the auburn family they're selling the auburn community they're selling the downtown they're selling the campus they're selling all that they're selling campus lifestyle for you ncaa football video game franchise folks all right and auburn's is an a an a plus it is right up there you are going to have the time of your life coming to auburn you are going to enjoy the community all of the guys that come here they come back we talked about this last week with Christian Clemente. They come back for their degrees if they leave early to go to the league. They all like it, Once you come here, Auburn is a part of you, and you are a part of Auburn. And they sell that to recruits. Now, to all recruits, is that important? Not, not to every recruit, no. But to the guys that Auburn wants to go and get, some of these four-star guys, some of these fringe guys that Auburn missed on last year, some of these higher-value recruits, it speaks to some of those players. And guess what? Auburn was in the 30s in recruiting before signing day. And then if it wasn't for Dylan Brooks, Auburn doesn't get into the top 25 at this year's recruiting class. They need to be able to recruit on campus with visits and whatnot and getting guys into Jordan-Hare Stadium with full capacity. And what better year to do that with a season where you have Alabama and Georgia on your home schedule? Those are major selling points. I remember being in the house, covering the game as a media personality and being on the field in the 2017 Iron Bowl and then the 2017 
Deep South's oldest rivalry. So for I, I was on the field as the game was was ending because you go to the the press room, so you work your way down to the field for the last couple minutes of the ball game. And I remember being on the sideline for the last two three minutes of those ball games, and seeing how loud it was. Just being in that environment and seeing how loud those those respective stadiums were for those football games those are major selling points for those recruits and that was a big year for Auburn in terms of recruiting back in 2017 this is a huge year for Auburn and it's majorly important that they're able to get these guys on campus because that's what they're selling they're selling Jordan-Hare Stadium they're selling the campus lifestyle and you can't do that from behind a computer screen I agree with you and I think a really good point that you were making and I'll add on to it is that this recruiting class was not in the top 25 with Gus Malzahn's coaching staff at the end of the season it wasn't and so whenever whenever I talk about well a lot of these guys the top 30 right a lot of these guys that are on the coaching staff now don't have SEC experience those guys were able to bring it back into the top 25 imagine what these guys are going to be able to do whenever they get a full off season and they have a full full season to like you mentioned get guys to go to the Georgia game get guys to come and watch the Alabama game get to see the talent on the field and get to experience game day it's really important and this coaching staff is already showing promise like you said they, they were trying to get some guys like Hunter at the end of the recruiting class and they they were able to to get the best of what was left it looked like and if they can if they can continue that and they can get these cla- these classes in the future up back into the top 15 top 10 it's really really good recruiting wise these guys that have not been in the SEC have shown promise yeah, folks have been really hard on this coaching staff for the three stars that they've brought in, some of the transfers that they've brought in. But look, that's not this coaching staff's fault. Blame Malzahn and the previous coaching staff and the pandemic for where Auburn was at in recruiting coming into this year. Blame that. And I say that because this coaching staff is literally brought in, like you said, the best that was left. Dreshawn Miller's a great commitment for Auburn football. Same as Donovan Kaufman. These guys have shown the ability to succeed against other good football programs in power conference locations. Vanderbilt, not the greatest location, of course, but Kaufman showed out against the two teams that he got to play on his schedule, which was Texas A&M and LSU, and then he got hurt. And Dreshawn Miller was a part of one of the best secondaries in all of college football. So for me, when I see these guys that Auburn's bringing in, yes, some of them are from UAB, some of them are from Kansas, but... Pump the brakes. This coaching staff's doing the best that they can right now with what was left when they came into it. If this was they're they're having to build something completely new. And Malzahn didn't leave them a whole lot. Right, and keep in mind that most of the guys that they're bringing in are transfers. This isn't a recruiting class, and I understand these guys are still four or three or four stars, but give them a full offseason, and I think these guys are gonna do a lot of good things. More of on the line on the other side of this break. We'll rank Auburn's top three positions of need in the 2022 class. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. We'll be right back. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Coming up at 2.30, we got Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer joining us on the line. Justin Ferguson going to take us through What's going on on the recruiting trail? What else should we be looking out for now as this is really the first week of the offseason? No more Auburn sports. Tennis is over with. Golf is over with. All that stuff that trailed into into May. Baseball is officially over with. This is the first week that Auburn athletics is officially in the offseason. It feels weird. It feels weird, but I am already looking forward to college football season, man. It is so close. 95 days. Come on. 
So Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer, he'll be with us coming up at 2.30. So stay tuned for that. We'll have him on the line with us. Preview this going into this segment. What are the top three positions of need for Auburn football in the 2022 class? Recruiting is the hot topic today as on-campus visits are allowed. You can come back to campus and meet with these coaches in person. You no longer have to do it from behind a computer screen. Top three positions of need for Auburn football in 2022. Let's get down to it. We will start at the top. Let's go one, two, three. So we'll start with the most important. The obvious one is offensive tackle, but I will take it a step further. And I would assume that you have tackle at your at your number one spot. I do. So we'll just get this obvious one out of the way here. Offensive tackle by far is the biggest position of need and Auburn is treating it as such. We've heard some folks say as many as like six tackles in this recruiting class, which I think is lofty goals for Auburn football to try and get six tackles that's a lot but I will go a step further and say offensive line as a whole guard not as big of a deal because Malzahn only recruited guards that's why go back to point a Auburn really needs tackles but I would say that center is a position of need for Auburn football you're in you're you're getting towards the end of Nick Brom's career and Jalil Irvin at center right now he's a converted He's not a center. He's converted from another position on the offensive line. I believe he's coming from guard as well. So, like, what do you, what do you, like, how have you, the center position has been neglected as well, I felt like, on the offensive line over these last several recruiting classes. I agree. I think the offensive line as a whole, a lot of Auburn fans would probably agree with us as well that it definitely needs some retooling. But specifically, I think that Auburn needs to go after that left tackle spot and listen. Alec Jackson, he might be a senior. He might be returning as a starter. There might be eight starters returning on this offensive line. But it was, it was not good last year. And Alec Jackson, I don't want to say was abysmal, but you go back and watch some All-22 tape, and sometimes it would just be like, what are you doing? Why are you not blocking a guy? Where are you looking? Why are you missing your assignment? Why are you not double-teaming here? Why are you not doing this? And it's just mind-boggling for that to be an SEC starting left tackle. Jackson had a 41 pass-blocking grade from Pro Football Focus, and his backup Austin Troxel had a 36.1 grade from pass block grade from from Pro Football Focus. I mean, it was terrible. It's really hard to assess Bo Nix whenever his offensive line wouldn't block for him. It's really really hard to do that. Now, granted, the moments that Nix got, he would he would 50-50 make the right decision. There were some moments last season where it's like, oh, that's a really good play whenever Nix gets time, and then it's like, oh, well, that he's drifting to his left again whenever he gets time and he's missing a wide open touchdown. But his offensive line is not helping him out, and I think a lot of it starts with left and right tackle, but specifically left tackle because it has been poor this or last season. It's been poor for two or three years now. To say that tackle is the main position of need on the offensive line, that is true. I think we do have to step it out past that though considering you look at the fact that all five starters on the offensive line right now projected they're all seniors they're all gone after this year folks are really talking you know you look at some projections and stuff and me and you have discussed this I don't understand why people all of a sudden think Auburn regressed from last year last season Auburn's an eight win team borderline nine win team if you include a non-conference schedule right and you look at the games that they won against the teams that actually would have been on their schedule last year had the pandemic not occurred and then you wouldn't be playing a 10 game sec schedule and you take the games that they added off Auburn still would have been an eight or a nine win team but you look at projections we've got our athlon sports magazine we've looked at other people projecting this upcoming year for some reason folks think that Auburn regressed by two or three wins and they got Auburn as a six seven win team this upcoming year and I'm like well at least they returned the offensive line now you've said this several times like 
why would you want to return all of that because they were horrible well at least for continuity and the hope that they could improve because they've been in the program and they've got a year of experience under their belt next year's the year though where you're looking you're like oh my goodness look at everything that Auburn's losing Auburn returns like 16 17 starters depending on how you look at it Brandon Council's a returning starter but some folks don't see that as a returning starter in their preseason magazines and whatnot but Auburn's returning 16 17 starters they return a lot of productions from last year's football team outside of wide receiver but you lose your entire offensive line yep you may lose your quarterback I, I highly doubt it but you could lose your quarterback you lose one of your running backs in Sean Shivers you're going to lose several players on your defensive line you're probably going to lose both of your linebackers and you may lose two or three cornerbacks you're at least losing one in Roger McCreary I don't know what Dreshawn Miller's going to do but I imagine he's looking to take the next step so you could lose two right there and then Jalen Simpson and Nehemiah Pritchett are both draft eligible and then you don't have a whole lot after those guys oh by the way Smoke Monday's gone as well so you lose like three or four defensive backs at least think about all the talent that Auburn loses Auburn's going to be a super young team next year in terms of experience just look at the offensive line you lose five guys you lose your entire offensive line just like it was last year and you have a lot of guys behind them that are getting ready to graduate that are juniors and seniors it's time to get some younger players in the last coaching staff really dropped the ball on that front Auburn is in a really bad spot they're gonna have to do some serious work on that on that front and it's not just a tackle for me I think it's also at guard and I think it's also at center I think something that that also scares me is that moving forward, you know, a lot of people are saying, oh, it's going to take two or three years for Brian Harson to actually get this stuff going. You're too looking at it like you just said on paper might be a regression and you have to play at Georgia and Alabama next year. That that could not that could end up being really bad. But something to, to note about the offensive line to kind of to kind of give some of these guys something positive to, to finish on with the O-line. A lot of it also had to do with scheme. There are a lot of things that that scheme wise were not going the offensive line's way and it's not necessarily right to say every single thing that Alec Jackson and these tackles and even everybody on on the team was doing wrong a lot of it had to do with the scheme and you can say what you want about this offensive line and how poorly they performed but you can't hang it all on Knicks you can't hang it all on the offensive line you can't you you can't even hang it all on the coaching staff it was just it was just a combination of a lot of different negative things and I think starting with this coaching staff they're going to be able to get some new scheme things going, and they're going to be able to protect Bo Nix just a little bit better by saying, hey, to this offensive line, you need to be able to work these gaps better. You need to be able to double-team these guys and get some things corrected. So while there it may be an issue, like you said, there's a lot of opportunity this fall for them to improve. Well, they're investing in different ways into this offensive line than the previous coaching staff did. They're going to focus on an inside running game rather than Auburn tried to live out on the perimeter, which didn't work. They're going to focus on being mean up front and getting tougher. You you talk about differences in strength and conditioning programs. We've all heard about that during the offseason. You're talking about this coaching staff maybe trying to beef up some of these players, get these guys to gain weight, get these guys mean, get these guys tough and more physical because plain and simple, Auburn was not tougher than half of their schedule last year. And that's why you get a 6-5 and five record. You're not able to beat some of the teams that were meaner than them. You look at the trenches, Auburn consistently beat in the trenches by the top half teams in this league. And Auburn was able to just do enough to get by some of the teams that you would say Auburn was more talented than, like Arkansas. They got beat by South Carolina, Ole Miss as well. You would expect Auburn to be better than those teams in the trenches. Auburn did just enough to get by in those games. I don't think Auburn showed dominance in those football games. So offensive line, the most important need, even more so than just tackle. Let's get to number two here. 
I'm going to go with linebacker yep. on my sheet of paper. I had cornerback, but you and I, before the show, were talking. Then you mentioned linebacker, and then I went to go and look at the recruiting class. They didn't sign a linebacker last year, and you're about to lose two. Yep, yep, that's exactly right. So Kobe McLean is graduating. Open Owen Papo could leave early this season. He's I think he will. League. Chandler Wooten's graduating. T.D. Moultrie, outside linebacker, is graduating. You're losing almost two. Actually, it is over 200 combined tackles from last year. If the, if these two top guys do decide to leave, that's a lot of production outside those two guys as well that you're losing. Auburn's got to be able to sign some talented linebackers in this class, and I know that they they signed Dylan Brooks, who was kind of an outside linebacker, defensive edge kind of it's guy. A but pass you, rusher. You need somebody that's in the middle of your field dictating what goes on with that defense. You need you need yeah, a namely inside linebacker. Right, is you, the issue. Right, you need you need the quarterback of the defense. You need to be recruiting that guy this offseason because right now they don't have it on their roster in 2022. That makes that position. You, you need to go and find an Owen Papo in this class. Because yep. Owen Papo showed out when he was a freshman. Now he had older guys around him at that time. But, man, and then you think K.J. Britt's gone now as well. Like, after these two guys, what do you have? Because we really haven't seen Tisdall play that much. We really haven't seen Steiner play hardly at all. Those guys haven't touched the field. Those guys have no experience because Auburn didn't rotate at linebacker last year. You had two linebackers that played all year long, nearly 100% of the snaps. That, that's how you end up with Jacoby McClain getting over 100 tackles and just playing some of your defensive line wasn't that good. But they, they didn't hardly get any of the other linebackers any playing time. Sure, they have them and Cam Riley and, and, and Steiner and Tizzle. They have those three. But once again, I go back to those guys have played hardly at all. You don't know if those guys are ready, and you still need to recruit after that. I go back to, as well, they didn't sign a linebacker in last year's class with the exception of Joko Willis, who some has said he's going to end up as a edge rusher rather than an inside linebacker. One linebacker, though, in last year's class is not enough. I would imagine they go hard at linebacker in this year's class. I agree. you got to be able to, to to replace that production that they had last season and they're going to have this season. Auburn's got a pair of really talented linebackers on their roster right now. And then third... In terms of ranking Auburn's top three positions of need for Auburn football in the 2022 recruiting class, June is a big month for Auburn football and recruiting. The last one I want to touch on here, cornerback. I moved them down. Is that who you've got at three? I actually had running back at number three. Well, that just got soft today, right? Or it, are you just looking for someone after Tate Bigsby, like a true number one so running back? Like I like I mentioned earlier, I think these guys are depth pieces. I think they're talented. I'm not saying that they're bad, but I need somebody that's that bell cow back, that four. Or I'm not saying Auburn's going to find a, find a five-star running back that they get to commit, but a four-star solid guy that everybody can look at and say, okay, he's going to be our number one. Not not Jordan Ingram, not Jarquez Hunter. I think it's got to be somebody that, can be, that you look at and say, okay, that's a number one guy those those guys that we have on roster right now are depth pieces you got to be able to sign a number one guy this next season to kind of get him developed and get him ready for two years from now I go quarterback for the reasons that I mentioned earlier you're going to lose Roger McCreary you're probably going to lose Dreshawn Miller you had Kamal Haddon and Domeo both transfer out Mm -hmm. of the program if you can get Simpson and Pritchett back on campus next year you're going to be all right at quarterback but I look at last year's recruiting class Kamal Haddon and A.D. Diamond Kamal Haddon ain't a part of it anymore because he transferred. You only had one corner in last year's class, and you're, and you're losing a lot after this year. So, cornerback, a major need for Auburn in this next recruiting class as well. We got Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer coming up on the line with us at 2.30. Stay tuned on the other side of this break. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. We got Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer on the line with us now. Justin, how you doing on this Tuesday after a long weekend? 
Yeah, I'm doing all right. Uh, pretty pretty uh, good to get back in the, the swing of things. Recruiting starting up today in, in earnest, and so keeping an eye on what's going on with Auburn football and Auburn basketball there and uh you know already got some news today so that's uh it's been a pretty it's been a pretty good uh pretty good little Tuesday here for news and that news that you're talking about Central Michigan running back transfer Jordan Ingram brother of former Alabama basketball player Dazon Ingram he has announced his commitment to transfer to Auburn football what's your takeaway there yeah big time pickup for Auburn in terms of your depth at the running back position I mean you we're at a point where you only have two running backs with with experience coming back, but then you know you look at spring practices. Devin Barrett was on his you know trying to get get back to you know the swing of things of running back, and Jarquez Hunter wasn't there yet, and so you had a lot of walk ons getting getting some reps uh, during spring practice. Now you're going to have five scholarship running backs, and then Jordan Ingram is a very interesting uh, uh, prospect for Auburn in the future because you know, he's a kid who had a lot of SEC offers coming out of high school. Um, he was kind of one of those dudes that you know. He strikes me in the way he was a through as recruited, um, kind of one of those three-star in-state guys. Uh, Auburn looked at him, Arkansas, LSU, uh, some others uh, gave him a good look, and it was just one of those things where if the numbers would have worked out and you know things fall another way, he might have had a shot uh, to play at, at a Power Five school. Uh, but those spots filled up. Uh, he was towards you know towards the back end of some of their boards, and so he ends up at Central Michigan. Doesn't play at Central Michigan, you know, COVID being a, being a tough year as he is, he was a late addition for them and so you know, for Auburn you're basically getting a, a a freshman running back this is like getting another 2021 running back right off the board and um he, he's, a, he's a really good he's a really good player I'm kind of watching some film on him writing a story up for tomorrow uh, at the observer and uh one of the things that stands out about me to me about him is that he runs with a lot of uh, physicality I mean he is not a big dude and he's got some pretty good speed in the open field uh, but he loves breaking tackles, and he is a guy that uh, sticks his foot in the ground and accelerates. He's played in an offense that I think is going to look very familiar to what he's done, uh, what he's going to do at Auburn in terms of kind of the multiple stuff uh, that we'll see from Brian Harson and Mike Bobo. So I think this is a really good pickup that, you know, you have a couple years with Tank Bigsby left, uh, we think, um, you know, in terms of, you know, probably a guy who's going to go to the NFL after his junior year. Um, so you have a couple years to develop this guy along with Jarquez Hunter, I think both of those dudes, with the way they play, they showed up on film in high school, uh, they've got the tools. And so it's going to be time, you know, these next couple of seasons, kind of develop them into uh, dudes who can contribute and, and, and play some roles for you down the road. Looking at Auburn's running game as a whole, not just with the offensive line, but also the new players that Auburn's recruiting for the offensive line, the running back position, how do we expect this running game to change schematically from the previous coaching staff to this coaching staff? Yeah, I think you're going to see a little bit more downhill running. It's not to say that Gus Malzahn's offense wasn't big on downhill running, uh, but I mean you're going to see, you know, under center runs, you're going to see some fullbacks out there kind of leading the way, um, you know, in the hole uh, from time to time. Um, this is an offense that is going to do a lot more of the power stuff that we've seen, and you know, Gus Malzahn's offense ran a very good variation of, you know, they go back and forth between zone zone block and man block and that kind of thing. But I think you're going to see, um, you know, a lot of between the tackles runs. I, don't, I think you're going to uh, see some things where you look at, uh, you know, some stretch runs, some outside zone uh, out of under center formations. Uh, one of the things you look at is like how popular that's been in the NFL recently. Guys like the San Francisco 49ers have really built an empire off of that. Uh, Los Angeles Rams did a, did a really good bit as well under Sean McVay. 
I think those are the kind of running plays you're going to see a little bit more of uh, for Auburn. And it should be interesting. Tank Bigsby and Sean Chivers are both dudes uh, that are really good at breaking tackles. And that, you know, if they can get through that first level with the, how powerful they run and get into the open field, they can create some big plays off of it. So I think that's what you're going to see. You're going to see a lot of that in the running game or just some more variety. But ultimately, they're going to want to play some power football, get downhill, and, and use it to kind of draw the defense in, uh, condense them a little bit, which would open up things for the passing game, uh, you know, through play-action shots and, and, you know, things like that with the, with your quarterback. Sticking on the topic of this rushing attack, where does Bo Nix factor into all of this? You know, he's he's been somewhat of a dual threat two years now at Auburn. Obviously, seven touchdowns on the ground last season. I believe it was almost 400 yards that Nix got last year. Is he going to be a factor at all in this rushing offense, or is Harson going to try and mold him into more of a pocket-passing type of quarterback? Yeah, if you look at Brian Harson and Mike Bobo's background, they usually don't run their quarterbacks a ton on design plays. It's more of a strategic thing than a thing that, they do a ton of. Like, uh, if you go back and watch uh, at Boise State, Colorado State, uh, some of Georgia stuff that Mike Bova did, when they ran their running backs, it was usually like, hey, we're in the red zone or it's a you know, third and short situation. we got to move the chains. And they, they pull it out in that case. Um, you know, there are times where they'll bust out a zone read. Uh, there are times where they will run the option. Uh, so it's different kinds of options with their quarterback. And I think when you have a dude like Bo Nix, who is a runner, um, who is who is very effective with his legs, you're going to want to do some of that in there. Uh, but, yeah, I think it's just you look at his, his running quarterbacks in the past uh, outside of, you know, when he had uh, when he had a, a guy in Boise State and Montel Cozart who kind of was that gadget backup come in and run the ball a little bit type of quarterback. Most of his starters have been guys that, you know, stay in the pocket. Uh, one thing I do think will be very interesting to see with Bo Nix moving forward is that he is good at running, and he is a guy that is very athletic, and they're not going to – try to, you know, keep him from not doing some of that. But I think the design runs you might see, uh, you know, less of in this offense. One of the things I'm interested in seeing is in play-action game, the rollouts, um, you know, trying to, uh, trying to, you know, get one of those opportunities where you can kind of split feel a little bit, um, you know, give the defense a couple things to look at and give Nick the option to take off and run if his guy's not open. I think that'll be something you might see a little bit more of where it's not necessarily using him, you know, in design runs as much, but let him get out of the pocket a little bit on rollouts, play action, stuff like that. And then give him the option to tuck it and go and throw it on the run. Because we know uh, when Nick's is, you know, when he's, when he's you know, making a good throw with his feet on the run, um, you know, and his footwork's good, it's a weapon that he's got. So I would expect to see some, some more of that, but yeah, um, history tells us that, you know, this is not an offense that usually wants to run their quarterbacks as much as Gus Malzahn has had in the past. Speaking with Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer, going back to recruiting just a little bit here, what are some of the most important needs for Auburn on the recruiting trail? And let's try and exclude offensive line here, considering I think that's kind of the obvious answer. Yeah. No, I'm really interested to see moving forward what Auburn does to reload its defense. They've got a lot of balance on that defensive end on that defense side of the ball. Uh, it's a young defensive front, but you've got a lot of older guys in the secondary. You've got some older guys at linebacker, and you're always wanting to kind of refill and bring that wave in. So very interesting to me to see how they do that, how they you know, maybe could bolster up some of their edge-rushing talent. Uh, they've got some guys uh, that they are targeting and recruiting, some guys that are going to be on visits here um, you know, in the next few weeks that are quote-unquote just edge-rushers, maybe guys that you wouldn't have ne- uh, necessarily seen as much in the previous defense that are better scheme fits here. So 
I'm interested to see how they reload the second and third levels uh, of the defense. I think you've got a ton of youth at wide receiver, um, so it's not a pressing need, but you can always can use more talent. Um, you know, you mentioned the offensive line. That's always going to be the big thing. But, um, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if Auburn tries to grab a, a running back, maybe another quarterback um, to go along with Holden Garner in this class and just kind of reload there. I mean, I, the thing about this roster is that outside of the offensive line and outside of the youth that we that, that is there at wide receiver, this is a pretty balanced roster. The previous staff, I think, did a good job of kind of keeping things going. It's just there's an obvious red flag at, at offensive line, and they're going to have to try to rebuild that there. And, and your wide receivers right now, are it's a deep room, but it's a very young room at this point. So um, I think it's just kind of um, you know finding the guys that fit your system and continuing to replenish the talent. Because I, I don't think there are any just, you know, big, you know, neon lights flashing saying, hey, you've got to have X number of these guys. Um, I think it's just kind of try to sign an offense, try to sign a defense, and, and keep it moving. I think one of the interesting things to keep in mind uh, is going to be how many spots they have in this class. Um, because we're already hearing, and uh, Keith Niebuhr, Jeffrey Lee, uh, two guys who recover uh, recruiting here at Auburn and do an outstanding job. But both of them reported today. So when Jordan Ingram signed or is coming to Auburn, he's going to count for the 2022 class now. I don't know how all that works with the counts and all that with scholarships, but um, that is the plan. So, you know, there are going to be some of these guys who are coming in transfer-wise from Auburn um, that are going to take away the number of high school and JUCO kids that they can sign in 2022. Um, so that's another thing to keep in mind, that, you know, this might be a year where you don't see quite as many, uh, you know, high school recruits signing with Auburn, and I think that's just going to be something nationwide. Um, I've already heard, you know, from about Power 5 schools and, and, and a couple of Group of 5 schools, uh, just from people that I've talked to, you know, in the media, some, some uh, friends of mine that had, and they're talking about, like, oh, yeah, this is going to be just a really small class for the team I cover or the team I heard about or something like that. And so I think that's something to keep in mind moving forward. It might not be close to a full 25 because we're already seeing some of these, some of these transfers counting ahead to the future. One program seems a little bit uncomfortable, not established, and that being the football side of things, but basketball looking really comfortable. What's the latest there with AU basketball recruiting as they've been able to get some guys on campus? So they're rolling already. Um, they have gotten guys on campus. Uh, there is already a reports out there. That they've got some five stars coming in uh, in the 2022 and 2023 class that are going to be visiting here uh, in the next few weeks. Bruce Pearl told us last week um, that, you know, they're going to hit the ground running. And, you know, Auburn's got this rep now that when you are swinging for the fences in recruiting like Auburn has, has done over the last few years, when you pull a Jabari Smith, when you pull a Shavreef Cooper, when you get in the running, deep in the running for a guy like Scoot Henderson or Jalen Green, you know, that gets attention. That gets a lot of attention, uh, and especially in the state of Georgia. So, I mean, you know, you can pull up a list of the top names in the state of Georgia in the class of 2022, 2023, 2024. And most of those guys are probably either going to come to Auburn at some point here over the next few months or, um, you know, are already in deep conversations with them. That's just just what Auburn's done. Uh, and in college basketball, probably more than in college football just because of the limited amount of spots you do have. Um, you have to get work, You have to get to work early. And so these are guys that we're hearing about in 2022, 2023. You know, Auburn's been on their radar for quite some time now. And so Bruce Pearl's got a pretty well-oiled machine in recruiting happening, especially in the state of Georgia. And uh, that doesn't look like it's going to slow down. I think you're going to hear about some big names uh, coming through Auburn 
over the next few weeks and months. And, uh, you know, we'll see who might be, um, you know, the first big name to join that, uh, that 2022 class. Cause as of right now, they've only got one, um, commitment and he's, you know, rising up the range of stage, uh, Taliento. But, you know, it'd be very, very interesting to see, uh, uh, who might be next? Because I think if you're just a big name prospect out of the state of Georgia, Auburn's going to be coming uh, come knocking here pretty pretty soon. Justin, I appreciate you taking the time to hop on the show with us today. Tell tell everybody about all this off season content that you got coming out for them, and then where they can find it and how they can subscribe. Yeah, AuburnObserver.com is where you can get uh, everything I got going on. Uh, had a story today, kind of a big picture look at uh, at recruiting, kind of where some of the conversation we just had, some guys to know about. Moving forward, uh, tomorrow morning, uh, I'll have a breakdown of uh, Auburn's new pickup in Jordan Ingram, uh, the running back from Central Michigan that we talked about earlier. Uh, you can check that out. Have mailbag later this week. Premium podcast for subscribers. $6 a month or $60 a year. All it takes to sign up at AuburnObserver.com, and we email every store and every podcast we do. And uh, we usually have a few of those each week, even here in the off season. And you can follow me on Twitter at JFergusonAU. Justin, I appreciate it, my man. I hope you have a good afternoon and evening. Absolutely. I'll be good. Thank you. That was Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer on the line with us. We'll wrap up hour number one on the other side of this break. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. Before we wrap up hour number one here, let's take a listen to what's on TV tonight. Hey everybody, it's Noah Gardner with What's On Tonight. What could you build with a supply of 5 million Lego bricks? A new season of Lego Masters as teams compete for a $100,000 cash prize on Fox at 7. If my mom had told me I could make 100 grand by playing with Legos, I would have kept playing with them. Following it at 8, it's Mental Samurai. Movie selection for tonight, A Few Good Men is on BBC at 7. In live sports, the Tuesday NBA playoff schedule has three games. Starting at 6.30 on TNT, the Brooklyn Nets look to close the series out up 3-1 against the Boston Celtics. At 8 on NBA TV, the Trailblazers and the Nuggets go to a pivotal Game 5 with the series tied at 2-2. The Phoenix Suns held on and evened up the series against LeBron and the Lakers. At 9 on TNT, it's Game 5 between LA and Phoenix as the Suns are back on their home floor. MLB Baseball is on FS1 at 5-10 with an AL Central matchup between the Chicago White Sox and the Cleveland Indians. I'm Noah Gardner and that's what's on TV tonight. Wrapping up hour number one here of On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you. we got about four minutes left in hour number one. It's going to be a fun hour, hour number two, though. You want to stay tuned for that. We're going to talk about make-or-break factors for LSU football in 2021, as well as we found out that Penn State's stadium, Happy Valley, will be at full capacity. So over 100,000 strong, one of the world's largest sporting event stadiums. That will be at full capacity, so that's going to be fun. We're going to discuss what road game this year would you want to go to most if you can only go to one. We'll also put up a Twitter poll for that coming up at 3 on ESPN 1067's Twitter account at ESPN 1067. Follow ESPN 1067 on Facebook and Twitter to keep up with the latest going on at the station, the Max Roundtable on the line, the drive with Bill Cameron, analysis, news, and more. Seven hours of local sports talk radio. That's all on ESPN 1067. Find the website on ESPNAU.com. we got a lot more coming up 
in addition to that as well ranking top five quarterbacks in the SEC for the 2021 season I've got some hot takes there I think you and I are going to defer a little bit but it's going to be a good hour number two and stay tuned for that we also want to say thank you to Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer for joining us here in hour number one if you missed that conversation go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast I want to wrap up hour number one here talking about the NCAA baseball tournament bracket that was revealed what were your takeaways from the bracket that was revealed this past weekend I don't know if Mississippi State's going to be able to get out of their own region I don't (laughs) after seeing them play the way that they did in the SEC tournament who I would I would be I would be crazy not to bet a little bit money on one of those other three teams in really? that division. Yeah, I, th- you think I think that so. They're reeling right now. You think Mississippi State's? I think a just little from bit. a poor showing in the in the tournament. Well, if you get run ruled by two legitimate opponents, how are you expected to com- to compete and win in the SC or in the in the NCAA tournament? It's a pretty easy regional, though. Yeah, you're right. It's you're VCU, right. Campbell, and Sanford. That is they true. They did pave the way for them to get out. But I love the hot take there. I'm going to say this. I'm shocked Georgia didn't make it. I am too. I am too. Because Georgia beat LSU in the SEC tournament. Advanced. LSU was one and done. Georgia at least won a game in the tournament. Yet LSU gets in. Alabama gets in. Alabama deserves to get in. But I think Alabama barely got in. And I'll I'll go back to that in a second. But Georgia gets left out. And I was talking with Jacob Hillman. Runs the board with us every other day. Also cover. He's the sports director for Weagle 91.1 FM. Covers baseball like, like nobody's business around here the guy will go to every single baseball game that he can Uh, like like he will take a trip to Starkville Mississippi just to go and watch baseball at Mississippi State this upcoming weekend just he he loves baseball that much but commitment that's right he said the only reason why Georgia didn't get in was because Auburn beat him and looking at it that that's enough to drop your RPI to where it doesn't need to be and it's unnecessary losses you think if Georgia wins that series they have one more SEC win and that's probably not a question yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. And uh, again, I'm not surprised that Alabama did get in. I'm not surprised necessarily that LSU got in. I'm just kind of disappointed that Georgia didn't get yeah. in because they, we, we thought that they had met that threshold. We thought they had gotten to that point. Among all after, three of those teams, I think LSU and Georgia were the most safe. I agree. I thought Alabama had to barely, I thought Alabama had to kind of backdoor their way to get in based on their resume. And then they did what they needed to do in the SEC tournament to get in. Won two games against two good baseball programs. And now here they are, they're in and they deserve to be in. But I was shocked Georgia was the one that got left out. Looking at Alabama's regional, they're going to Ruston, Louisiana. They'll be taking on Louisiana Tech, who was the 16th overall team or, or the 16th overall seed amongst the top 16 seeds in the nation. They will then have two NC State. That's who Alabama will be taking on on Friday. And then Ryder is the four seed in that regional as well this is favorable for alabama now not if they were to get to the super regionals because they'll have to go and take on the number one overall seed in the country more than likely in arkansas but alabama's beaten some good teams this year and you just look at the sec tournament the way they were playing i wouldn't put it out of the realm of possibility that they could beat nc state and louisiana tech i agree i agree nc state formidable but not great yep top 20 team same as louisiana tech but still it's, it's very doable That's it for hour number one of On the Line. We'll be back in just a few moments with hour number two. You are on the line. 
Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on foxsports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7000. Hour number two of On the Line. Noah Gardner, Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama, as well as airing on Facebook. You can watch the show on the Radio Alabama Sports Facebook page. Keep up with all the content the show is putting out on RadioAlabamaSports.net and on the Radio Alabama Sports Facebook page. Follow it on Twitter as well at Radio AL Sports. Between collegiate and high school sports content, we've got you covered. Once again, that's RadioAlabamaSports.net. That's where you can watch the show every day. That's where it's put up. You can watch the show on Radio Alabama Sports Facebook page. Starting off hour number two here, we found out that Penn State's football stadium, Penn State Athletics, going back to full capacity. For the 2021-2022 athletic year, guess what that means? Auburn folks that will be going to that Penn State game, they are going to get to enjoy one of the best environments in all of collegiate athletics. I've talked about it, I've talked about it, and I've talked about it. I'm so excited for this game. Most likely going to be college game day. I hope, I hope it's their wideout. I really hope it is. It's going to be such a special game against what will most likely be two top 25 teams, not necessarily top 25 caliber but I think if they do handle business in their first two weeks of the season they'll be ranked somewhere between 18 to 25 I believe will be the matchup that inspired us to put up a poll you got 24 hours to vote in it but go and find it at ESPN 1067 on the line poll which Auburn road game would you go to if you could only choose one and we want to hear from you 334-321-1390 that's how you call into the show phone lines are open once again 334-321-1390 which Auburn road game this season would you go to if you could only choose one here are your options Penn State LSU Texas A&M and then our final option, because you can't have five at a Twitter poll, you can only have four choices. We put South Carolina and Arkansas together, which we believe to be the same tier. Through nine votes at this point, Penn State at 89%, LSU at 11%. I think that's I think that's reasonable. So that's like all but one, I think. So one out of nine yep. chose LSU. I thought about LSU pretty pretty hard but I'm assuming your answer just like mine was Penn State I agree and then LSU would definitely have to be a very close second simply because it's another prestigious environment in all of college football over a hundred thousand fans will most likely be at that game as well it'll most likely looking at the schedule for that for that week it'll be the 233 CBS primetime game so that would be another really fun game to go to speaking of the LSU Tigers it's time to continue our SEC make or break series And today, we're focusing on the LSU Tigers, make-or-break factors for the Bayou Bengals. Lance, what you got? I think there are two really important ones, and obviously, number one, I think you have to be able to ask the question, can LSU find a quarterback this offseason and not go with a two-quarterback system and kind of stick with one guy? I think whenever you look at the two options that they have, obviously TJ Finley transferring out of the program to Auburn, you got to go between Mac Johnson, Max Johnson and Miles Brennan. Max Johnson, 
uh, 58.7 completion percentage last season, but he threw for over 1,000 yards, eight touchdowns, only one interception. That's the most impressive part about his his statistics, in addition to, to beating Florida. And, and it, whenever he was in, he didn't make mistakes. He didn't commit turnovers. He just played solid. And that's why I think they got to go with him as the starter. But I think a lot of people are also really high on what Miles Brennan could do, especially in the passing game last season before he got injured. Through three games, 60% completion percentage, over 1,000 yards, 11 touchdowns, three interceptions, eight or 8.5 yards per completion. I believe that's what it is. Very, very talented quarterback as well. And then they bring back a lot of receiver production. Kayshawn, I'm not going to try. It's 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 uh, Boutte, right? Yes, it is Boutte. Kayshawn Boutte, a, a sophomore. He was really talented last season. Obviously, they lose Terrence Marshall, but they bring back Jerry Jenkins and Coy Moore as well to go along with Boutte, they've got some really talented receivers, even though they've had some amazing NFL talent to part over the last couple of seasons. But it's it's finding a quarterback that can get the ball to those guys. And they've got two really good options. They just got to go with one. Max Johnson, I believe, is the better option than Miles Brennan at this point. And you have to look at the competition that the two teams faced and how LSU performed in those two in, in those games based on who was at quarterback. What, Miles Brennan got three games to Mississippi State, Vanderbilt, and Missouri? What else you do? One and two. Yep. And went one and two. And then the 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 keys were handed off to TJ Finley due to the injury, and we didn't see Miles Brennan ever again. He loses to Mississippi State 44 to 34, loses to Missouri 45-41, and of course he beat Vanderbilt 41 to 7. Woo, you know, but that was Miles Brennan. Max Johnson got two games at the end of the year. He got Florida and he got Ole Miss, and he won both of them. And he looked good doing it. And the offense scored 37 and 53 points. And I, I know that those Florida and Ole Miss defenses were not great, but you got to be able to, excuse me, I was almost sneezed. You got to be able to execute uh, against teams that are not good playing defensively. So they, he played well. I, I agree with you. I think he's got to be the guy, but a lot of people are high on Miles Brennan. It's going to be interesting to see who they go with, but I believe once they go with the guy, they got to be able to stick with him and ride it out. Another make-or-break factor that I think is crucial for this team is how much can this secondary improve with guys like Derek Stingley coming back. 323 yards per game allowed by that secondary last season. That was 127th nationally, next to worst in the entire country. You can't have that this season if you're going to have a 9 or 10 win year. It's funny. People love this defensive backfield. They love Stingley. They love Eli Rex. They love these two quarterbacks. And you, you can look at PFF. You can look at... Any social media account, major media outlet out there, and the way that they talk about this LSU secondary is like, oh my goodness, they have the these elite quarterbacks, best tandem in the country at quarterback. But then you look at the stats last year, and these both of these guys played. Right, and another interesting stat to note, obviously we're reading Athlon Sports magazines that have come out over the last week or so. Probably my favorite part of the year is whenever these college football previews come out. Really exciting, but a really interesting stat to note is after surrendering, surrendering 6.5 yards per pass attempt in 2019, LSU allowed 9.7 in 2020. The 3.2 yard increase was the worst in the nation. Together, the Tigers saw a 6.5-yard drop in net yards per pass attempt, 2.0 yards worse than any other team in college football. So both offensively and defensively, pass yards per uh, yeah pass yards per attempt went in the opposite direction that you would want to go. But this secondary, like you mentioned, like, a lot of guys are really high on Derek Stingley. Stingley. A lot of guys are really high on Eli Ricks. And I, th- I think it's very similar to the situation with Auburn's offense is that they need to be put in a different scheme and they need to be coached properly. Derek Stingley was not one of the best freshmen in the country two years ago for nothing he's real he's a really talented prospect 
to have him back for a third season, he's got to be special for LSU. But they got to be able to improve that secondary. The question is how much. This, all you can do is go up. After giving up 320 yards per game, all you can do is get better. But how much are they going to get better? I think it's going to determine how good of a season that they have because we've talked about it before. The, the SEC is shifting to a more pass oriented league you got to be able to defend the pass and I'm not saying you got to be able to do it at an elite level you just got to be able to do it decently in order to have a good season because your offense is going to be able to keep up I'm going to look at running game as well another make or break factor for LSU too much was put onto this quarterback position for LSU last season that had a revolving door. Too much pressure was put onto it. When you look at the running game for LSU that ranked 109th nationally at yards per game on the ground. That is not what you have came to expect from LSU. And last year, simply put, they just could not run the football. Their leading rusher last year had 446 yards on the ground. And I know not, it was a 10-game season, but still. They're not recruiting well at that position either. It's not like they're going out and getting really talented guys. I mean, John Emery Jr. a couple of years ago was pretty good, and now he's gotten into the point where he is actually one of their starting running backs. But they're going to have to rediscover their rushing attack. When I look at LSU, preview magazines, not just preview magazines, but also, once again, I go back to major media outlets. You look at the national perspective on LSU, they all expect LSU to bounce back. And Auburn consistently right now, and I am on this soapbox. I am standing on it. I, I am on this, okay? That, this is my crusade across the offseason. What changed this offseason for people to fall in love with Ole Miss at LSU and drop Auburn like lead in water? What changed? Of course, coaches changed at Auburn. You saw a, a change in the coaching staff because Auburn's committed to trying to get better and improve from mediocrity year in and year out. But what changed at LSU and Ole Miss for people to fall in love? And since we're talking about LSU, let's talk about LSU. I don't. They lost 48-11 to to Auburn last year. Now, don't, don't forget that. You remember what kind of up and down the field just, it, it was kicking the can up and down the field. You saw that. Everybody saw that. What changed for people to have confidence that LSU all of a sudden is back to being the second or third best team in the SEC West, and that all of a sudden they've closed the gap, and they've gone 37 points better than Auburn to close the gap. Now, do I believe Auburn's 37 points better than LSU last year? Probably not. But what changed for people to for people to fall in love with that? Because they had to go and make coaching changes themselves at right. coordinator positions, both coordinator positions. They cleaned house. Orgeron's on the hot seat. The first thing to go is the coordinators. Then it's the head coach. There are no more scapegoats in Baton Rouge. Also, you look at the the distractions outside of everything on the field that they struggled with. You name a problem. You could spin a wheel. It, it, you could have a spin the wheel of LSU problems right now. They've got it, okay? <laughs> you got the NCAA looking into various programs, not just football, but also basketball. Then you have all of the issues surrounding multiple players inside the program from previous years whether it be violence, sexual assault, whatnot, this LSU program's dealing with issues right now in any, in any capacity. I just, I'm having such a hard time figuring out where people latched onto that stuff got better. If anything, they lost their best players from last year to the draft. 
Where where did things get better? When you well, when you look at it, they do bring back sixteen starters and they bring back nine on that defense that was terrible last season. The only thing that I can think is because Bo Pelini is gone and they got a new coordinator that they will somehow be able to figure it out substantially enough so where where they can have an, an eight or nine win season and and make that jump. I just I don't see it. I don't see you going from three hundred and twenty three yards per game allowed passing wise and jumping to where you're now allowing 21, 20 points per game, you're allowing about 240, 230, even still, that's not good. That's like 80th best in the country. I don't see them making that significant of a jump. And if, if anything, it's going to be more difficult because you're breaking in a new co- uh, a coordinator on, on the defense. I just don't, I, I agree with you. I don't see where this LSU team got better. And if anything, they still have quarterback controversy. They've got to be able to find a quarterback. Their their head coach, like you mentioned, the coordinators are first to go, then it's the head coach. He's got to be able to figure some of this stuff out because there's not enough on paper to say that they they make that jump from a five-win team to a nine-win team. And I know if they had non-conference play last season, they would have been a seven- or eight-win team. Maybe, I would say seven and five would probably be the season if they, ceiling if they played a normal season, but... I don't see on paper how this coaching staff and these players can make that jump. So I'm saying I'm looking at Orgeron and saying you got to be able to prove to me that you are one of the best coaches not only in the country but in the SEC. And we've seen time and time again at other schools his track record's not been overly impressive. He just got right. He just got the right coordinators at the right time in 2019. I don't believe that it was his coaching ability that made that 2019 LSU team special. And he's got to be able to to set the tone this year and prove that he is a legitimate threat in the country as far as as far as him as a coach. I don't care about his coordinators. I need him to be able to coach this team to victory. And I don't see it going from nine, five wins to nine. I don't see him doing that. Which, if you look at last year, they were in a similar boat as Auburn at the end of the year after they were able to beat Florida and Ole Miss. They're not a five-win team if it's a normal year. They, they're still going to a bowl game. They won seven or eight games. But I'm just still trying to figure out what, where everybody, how everybody's perceptions have gotten to where they're at with how Auburn is viewed versus some of these other teams. And LSU is one of those teams that is dumbfounding to me how everybody just jumped from what we saw from the product that we saw last year to where we're at and maybe it is the fact of how they ended last year how they beat Florida thanks to a shoe being thrown and then Ole Miss of course they couldn't stop that they can't stop anything they've that defense when they were losing they were giving up more than 45 points a game and when they were winning they were giving up like 35 you know like I mean you're still not much better you know it may have been a 10 point difference but still 35 still pretty bad Uh, it's a soapbox that I'm on right now I know I'm railing on it I, I just don't know where people are getting to that there's just going to be this huge jump for LSU looking at the schedule for me another make or break factor that I'm taking a look at what happens in the first five weeks for LSU of course we've talked about a potential trap for LSU in week one going to the Rose Bowl at UCLA if you want to talk about experience being a reason why a team is going to be good this upcoming year which that's the way people are viewing this LSU team will look no further than UCLA they're like top five in the country and returning production from last year's season and they've got one of the most electric quarterbacks in the country as well that nobody's talking about and Dorian Thompson Robinson so I really like this UCLA team does LSU uh, SEC talent probably does win out in the Rose Bowl but if I'm looking for an upset in that first five weeks I might not look further than than week one against UCLA on the road then you got McNeese State and you got Central Michigan two wins there you're sitting at two and one but then you're at Mississippi State and you got Auburn at home 
What do you do in these first five weeks? Do you lose a couple of games? Do, do Are you wobbly getting out the gates? Is it is it like that last year for Les Miles where they went into that Auburn game and you looked at you looked at both the coaches on the sideline and you said, whoever loses this game is gone? And it's not going to be like that this year because obviously it's Brian Horson's first season, but is it like that on LSU's side where they're going into that Auburn game and you're like, man, if they lose this game, because they've already got a loss on the schedule. Say they lost to Mississippi State or they lost to UCLA. You choose. I don't think they lose both, but say they lose one of them. They've already got a loss on the schedule. Say they lose to Auburn. They're two losses. And then the then the real part of the schedule gets going, right? Then you got to play Alabama later on in the year. You got to play Florida. You got to play AM. After Auburn, you got to go to Kentucky. I know that was in no particular order, but you look at the back end of the schedule, you still got to play Ole Miss. There's a four week stretch at Kentucky versus Florida at Ole Miss at Alabama where I could easily see them losing three of those games if they have two losses in the first five weeks of the season. The wheels could fall off on this thing pretty quickly after the first five weeks if they don't handle their business in the first five weeks of the season. This is not a nine-win team. This is not a nine-win team. The more that I look at it, this is not a nine-win team. UCLA in week one, they bring back 19 starters. They bring back nine on an offense that averaged, we talked about this before, over 35 points per game, and they were incredibly balanced. They were a good offensive team. Chip Kelly's got them rolling right now. On that side of the football, defense atrocious. The defense but... has been bad, but you know they'll, they'll be able to score with LSU for sure, and it's at home. How do, I, I, don't see, I don't see LSU, especially if they have quarterback issues week one. I don't see them making it out of the Rose Bowl with a win. Now, I don't want to go that far because, once again, we, we look at SEC talent. And last week we did our predicting the first loss for every SEC team, and we were kind of gauging, you know, who it may be. I, I, I think it's still very possible. Very, you know, if, if not, you want to say more than likely that LSU is undefeated going into that Auburn game sitting at 4 0. But I go, we're talking about make or break factors here for them. If they take a loss in those first four weeks before they go in to play Auburn, and I, and I think this Auburn team's every bit as talented with what they return on both sides of the football as LSU. Whoever's got more things figured out going to week five, which Auburn at least has the chance to play like Penn State on the road, a team that's really got similar talent as LSU, Auburn's going to have that chance. I don't know if LSU through the first four weeks does get that same SEC feel. Now, UCLA, once again, we like it, but it's still not the physical taxing nature of an SEC football team. Penn State can provide that for you if you're Auburn, but I still go to you get to game five. I can see, I you know, we've talked about this a lot. I like Auburn's chances at Baton Rouge this year. Yeah, talent usually wins out, and I will say this about the UCLA game. If they can find a quarterback and stick with him the entire game and that secondary improves even just a little bit, they'll have a shot to win that game because, again, talent wins out. But if they don't figure out things quick, they're, they're going to fall apart. They will fall apart. That second, you can't give up over 300 yards a game and expect to win in the SEC. You just can't. And is one offseason enough? And, of course, yet yeah, last year was a weird year for everybody. Defenses across college football were down last year. Giving up 25 a game last season was considered pretty good compared to national averages in college football last year. But still, did they improve substantially enough to flip the script in one offseason where you're having to, to install two new coordinators? That, that, that's the real question for LSU. How much do they have figured out going into week five when they got to take on Auburn what are they doing in those first five weeks because after that there are teams that they know how to score Ole Miss Alabama Florida they know how to score and they can punish an LSU defense that maybe if it's if it's resembling anything like it did last year those teams can score on them and let me tell you Florida isn't going to be throwing a shoe this time 
when they take on LSU they're they're going to be looking for some revenge and payback from last year's game and I think they very much so can go and get it same as Alabama as always they're looking to punish them and then Ole Miss also another team looking for revenge against LSU a team that lost a close game and can put a stamp at the midseason mark it's going to be an interesting year let's just say that it's going to be a very interesting year for LSU on the other side of this break we start to rank the top five quarterbacks in the SEC you're listening to On the Line On the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. We'll be right back. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Follow Fox Sports Central Alabama on Facebook and keep up with the latest going on in sports. On the line, the drive with Bill Cameron, analysis, news, and more, all on Fox Sports Central Alabama on FoxSports983.com and on Facebook. That's FoxSports983.com. Previewed this going into this segment, ranking the top five quarterbacks in the SEC. We'll get to that in just a few moments. You've got some hot topic SEC news that just broke. Yeah, so the uh, Ole Miss has officially announced that the Grove will be reopening uh, this this season, and that's really exciting. Uh, you and I have talked about it. I think Ole Miss, you're, you're not as high as me, but I think the Grove is one of the most beautiful places in all of college football. It was so relaxing, so beautiful, especially during the summer. Really excited to see fans get back in that atmosphere, especially for game days for the Rebels. It's, it, it's just a good thing. Well, I meant transfer news. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's right. Oh, I'm so sorry. Wow. It's the first thing I had read, and I still had it open on my phone. So Clemson, as we discussed earlier over the break, got a uh, cornerback transfer from Clemson, and now it has just been announced that Eric Gilbert, the former five-star LSU tight end, will also be transferring to Georgia along with that Clemson defensive back. So Darnell Washington and Eric Gilbert are going to be battling it out for that that number one spot at tight end. I don't think they'll be battling it out. I just think that they're going to have a lot of two tight end sets and they're going to torture people because Washington looks looked great in the spring game and people are super pumped up about the sophomore returning starting tight end. And he is, he's jacked. That guy is, that guy's jacked. That is a scary, that is a scary tight end that can move that fast. And I think easily Georgia now has the best tight ends in the conference. Oh, for sure. You they may have already had the best tight end, but now the tandem, yes. And to have one, in, one A, one B, yes. Position group wise, they are for sure a number one. Gilbert last year for LSU, 35 catches, 368 yards, 10 and a half yards per catch, two touchdowns. Washington didn't have a whole lot of production but folks super high up on this guy coming back for Georgia that that is this is a loaded group at tight end for JT Daniels to be throwing to returns a lot of production at the receiving core as well for Georgia Kyrus Jackson is back 36 catches last year 514 total yards George Pickens would have been back but of course he tore his ACL through the spring you got Jermaine Burton back 27 catches 404 yards 15 yards per catch three touchdowns and then Demetrius Robertson also back. You you have several defensive back, uh, several receivers back. Excuse me, not defensive backs. Receivers back out of this core. Nobody that was really thrust into a major major role last year because that was, of course, for George Pickens and Jermaine Burton. But in pretty balanced numbers there that I was running through: five hundred fourteen yards for Kyrus Jackson, five hundred thirteen yards for George Pickens, four hundred four yards for Jermaine Burton. 
very balanced. Nobody really stepped out and said, I'm the guy until the end of the year with George Pickens. Now that he's hurt, they're going to have to figure that out. Is there a go-to wide receiver in Athens? We'll have to find out. Yeah, and now that you bring on uh, you bring on uh, Eric Gilbert to go along, I think that's going to speak volumes for for this Georgia offense wanting to stretch the field. I've talked about it time and time again. Something else to note is both Jackson and Burton averaged over 14 yards per catch. I mean, they were stretching the field; they were going long. And JT Daniels has the arm to do that. And I think we're going to get into here who we have as the top five quarterbacks in the SEC, and uh, JT Daniels for sure is one of them on both of our list 100 so let's rank the top five quarterbacks we'll take this over a couple of segments here as we've only got a couple minutes left in this one but let's start at five and go to one so now we're going to rank our top five quarterbacks in the sec starting a new series we're going to take a look at all of the position groups in the sec projecting out who we believe going into the year to be the top five players at all of those position groups across the sec and number five for me Emory Jones just barely squeaks into my list at number five out of Florida. I looked at Will Rogers here. I looked at Connor Basilek here. Both of those guys, honorable mentions for me, but just the location, between the locations of those two universities, Missouri and Mississippi State, and what they did last year, those guys were kind of hit and miss in certain games. Part of that due to the fact that they were young. Part of that due to the fact that they didn't start out as the starter at their respective universities last year. Also part of that, once again, you go back to the universities themselves and the players and the supporting cast for those guys it hurts them a bit I still wonder if they're going to be figuring out things in year two I agree I agree with you and that's why I actually I had Emory Jones and Connor Basilak in the back of my mind but I actually have Bo Nix at number five I decided that I think in the end he's going to be a better quarterback than both Jones and Basilak and I think a lot of it has to do with this scheme change I know we talked earlier about the offensive line and their woes but I think this 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 new coaching staff will be able to get them right to an extent and I think Bo Nix is going to be a lot better this season you know some people have penciled him as a dark horse for the Heisman I've heard he's focused and having fun out there but all jokes aside I think he legitimately is going to take a step forward this year and I think in the at the end of the season we'll look and we'll say well he was a better quarterback than Emory Jones and I think we're going to look at Missouri and I think we're going to say well Connor Basilak was efficient he was a game manager but he doesn't have the big playability as much as Bo Nix does I think we're definitely going to be saying that at the end of the year so I have Bo Nix at number five I'll go back to Emory Jones real quick before I get to Bo Nix because I do have Bo Nix on my list. But Emory Jones at five because I know I didn't speak to him a whole lot. I spoke more about Basilek and Will Rogers than, than Emory Jones. I trust what Dan Mullen is able to do with quarterbacks. He's got the track record. He did it at State. It didn't matter who it was. Most of them were all successful. It's a big part of why they were able to get to eight wins and build the Mississippi State program to that on a year-in, a year-out basis and why Mississippi State fans have expectations for Mississippi State football now. They used to not have expectations. They started winning. Now they have expectations. They've already cycled through one coach through three years because he didn't meet those expectations. Mike Leach, guess what? He's on the hot seat because of those expectations. Emory Jones at Florida, talk about expectations. There's expectations for this guy. You look at Pro Football Focus, they've talked about him as a potential first-round draft pick next season. I don't know if he's going to get to that point. I don't know if we've – we talked about this last week or maybe two weeks ago. I know we put up a graphic about it saying that Emory Jones, we just don't have a large enough sample size yet for me to be, you know, super comfortable with saying that Florida's going to be a major player right now in the SEC East to 2021. But one thing can be said about Emory Jones, he's got the physical skills, he's got the arm, he's got the legs – Now let's see what Dan Mullen molds him into. How good of a passer he is will dictate where he's drafted. How good of a passer he is will dictate how far Florida goes. I don't think we've seen up to this point in his sample size 
that he is a that he is a solid passer, that he is going to be able to make the throws that he needs to to help lead Florida past Alabama and Georgia. But I definitely think that he's good enough to get Florida past some of the middle of the pack teams in the SEC East and keep them right there at second and not have a huge step back here now that Kyle Trask is gone. Interesting to see what he will do in a full season for the Gators. We'll get to our top four on the other side of this break. You're listening on the line. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Midway through hour number two here, you got 30 minutes until the drive with Bill Cameron. It's been a solid Tuesday. Feels like Monday, but it's been a solid Tuesday here on the first show of the week for Lance and I. Go to ESPN 106.7's Twitter to go and find the On the Line poll. Which Auburn road game would you go to if you could only choose one? Go and vote in that poll. You still got 23 hours and 37 minutes to do so through 55 votes. Penn State at 78%, LSU at 16%, Texas A&M at 5%, and South Carolina slash Arkansas receives no love, 0%. Nobody want to go out there over the others. And you get a tweet from Chase from Braves Country. No love for A&M here. By far the funnest place on the list. Northgate is the best away experience. So there you go right there. Yeah, and and Texas A&M has played in some really, really good SEC games, some classic SEC games since they've joined the competition in College Station. But I will say this, whenever I go back and I watch SEC classic games like SEC on CBS, most of the games are games that A&M has lost at home. Like, it's it's a fantastic environment, but whenever I go back and watch, it's like, oh, they're losing to Auburn, they're losing to Alabama, they're they're almost losing to to, to Tennessee. I mean, it's a fantastic environment. But it's it's almost a surefire win for for better competition coming into College Station, and the poll is going about how I expected it to be going. Yeah, I expected most people to choose Penn State, but I just wanted to see how much love LSU and A and M would get, and it's going it's it's going about it's a little bit closer actually than I thought it would be, but it's still in that same ballpark. I knew most people would pick Penn State, but I was curious to see how many folks would choose to go to LSU. I thought about it for a moment. Mainly because I that, that is such a great college football environment. And honestly, it's a better environment than Penn State, but I've never had the opportunity to go to Penn State before. Right, and they're, they're similar environments to me just based on the fact that it's going to be so many people and it's going to be such an exciting event. But I would also look at it as, well, which game is Auburn more likely to win? I'd want to go watch a win more than I would a loss. Just I understand that the environment plays a factor into it. but well, I, Which one do you think is more likely? I think... <laughs> they're a, very similar that's football a, teams that's a tough question to ask what penn state went four and five last year lsu went five, five and, and five. five had similar slow starts out the gate guess what came on strong at the end of the year both are trying to figure out what's going on at quarterback they're like the exact same program in their respective conferences as well has the potential to win a championship every so often but most of the time they're second or third in their league every year they're like the exact same program lsu of the sec is to penn state in the big 10 and you talk about their environments in college football. Both of their mascots are a cat. Just saying. Very similar situations going into 2021 as well. And they're both expected to bounce back this season. Athlon Supposedly. has LSU at 9-3. and three. They have Penn State at 8-4. and four. They do have Auburn beating Penn State, or Athlon does. I would say that the LSU game is more likely. I would say that Auburn is more likely to win in, in Baton Rouge for the first time since 1999 this season than they are to go win against Penn State. 
I agree with that. And my stance on that is I think it's more likely that Auburn has things figured out by game five than they do by game three. I agree. I think it's reasonable. I think it's reasonable. But Penn State That's is a Twitter poll for another day. Is though. a really, really fun environment. I will say that. And I know environment definitely factors into it. For instance, I can't say, well, I'd much rather see a win. It's like, oh well, would I rather go watch them play Arkansas over over LSU or Penn State? No. But it, it it's a it's an it's an even balance of quality game that Auburn can win and road environment. Because if I had a choice, if Auburn was playing in Tuscaloosa for the Iron Bowl this season, or even last season, I'd rather go see a team that they can compete with, like LSU or Penn State or Texas A&M, than the Iron Bowl, because it's going to be a fun game. I know the outcome of the Iron Bowl is more likely to be a loss compared to Penn State or LSU, so I'd rather go to a game that's more fun, similar environments, and overall, it's just a, it's just a good experience. I think I've got our Twitter poll for tomorrow, too. Which game is Auburn more likely to win, LSU and Penn State? So stay tuned for that. But once again, you can go and find that on ESPN 106.7. Time to rank top five quarterbacks in the SEC. We gave you our five. We gave you our fifth place on the list so far. I had Emory Jones at five. You had Bo Nix at five. Now it's getting into our top four. I've got Bo Nix at four. Okay. Which, as I was composing my list, I was like, man, I'm, people are going to be mad at me for this. At least the the loud minority out there that really don't want to see Bo Nix be the quarterback this upcoming year we're going to be mad at me but I've got Bo Nix at four look he hasn't had the most optimal situation at Auburn up to this point he has had a revolving door on the offensive line due to injuries and inconsistency he's had two different offensive lines he's had a revolving door at offensive coordinator he's had now his third different coordinator in as many seasons as he's been as he's been on campus go look at baker mayfield in the nfl with the cleveland browns he had the exact same situation guess what solid rookie season bo nix had a solid freshman season at auburn terrible sophomore year in the nfl terrible sophomore slump for baker mayfield and the browns it went under freddie kitchens and then bounce back year number three when they get a new coaching staff in and and they and they feel comfortable with Stefanski it was just a good match things work out for Baker Mayfield last year Browns make the playoffs win a, win, win 10 games make it into the postseason is that is that what it's going to be for for Bo Nix in year three is this the right match only time will tell but I think that he's got I think he has shown folks that he has the tools now it's just about putting it all together He's got the arm talent. He's made the throws. The guy's beaten Alabama before, and he didn't have a terrible game against Alabama either. He made some crucial throws to get Auburn into a position to win that ball game, and it helps that the defense had two pick sixes. I'll say that too, but he has made some big throws in his career to win Auburn some games. Oregon and Alabama in his freshman year are the ones that you're looking at there. Last year, didn't make those throws. Last year, he didn't make those throws against South Carolina. If anything, he made throws against South Carolina that lost him the game. But you look at his running ability, you look at his, his, his passing ability, just purely the intangibles, I think he has shown the ability to be a top five quarterback in this league. Now it's about putting it together. I think it's very similar. I have a very similar stance to what you just said. I believe that Bonix has a higher ceiling than a lot of these new quarterbacks that are being broken in, in the SEC Will this Rogers, season. Rogers, Connor Basilek. Right. What, guys like Emory Jones, guys like Haynes King from Texas A&M. I believe in the end, Bonix will have a more – he'll have a better career than those guys at other SEC schools. My number four actually is going to be whoever wins the starting job at LSU, simply because I believe they'll be able to throw the ball around the yard. And statistically, at the end of the season, you'll be able to look at them and say, okay, they play pretty well. 
They statistically either between Miles Brennan or Max Johnson, both of those guys were were efficient in the passing game. Albeit Miles Brennan not playing against great competition, as we mentioned earlier, Mississippi State, Vanderbilt, Missouri, he lost two of those games. Definitely in a better situation, right? But but throwing for over a thousand yards in those games, eleven touchdowns, three interceptions. I think he he showed that he plays well against competition that he should play well against. And then Max Johnson, obviously able to win those last two games of the season. Whoever wins that starting job, I think is going to do a decent job at least on the offensive side of the ball for the LSU. Now, I have my reservations for the defense and how this team is going to play overall, but offensively, I think you got to be able to put one of those guys in the top five, whoever ever wins the job, because scheme-wise, offensively, they played pretty decent. I railed on LSU earlier in this hour, and a big part of that is on the defensive side of the ball. Last year, offensively, they, they did fine statistically. They scored 32 points a game. That was 39th in the country. They passed the ball well. They didn't run the ball well. The passing game was not all around the problem for LSU last year especially when you're looking at Miles Brennan and Max Johnson but still something just didn't quite click for them in the big games outside of the Florida and and Ole Miss games for them at the end of the year which is why some people are bullish on Max Johnson being the starter they return all five of their offensive linemen starters and they get Boutte back at wide receiver outside of that at wide receiver they're obviously missing Ferguson who or Marshall excuse me Terrace Marshall who's taken off to the next level. They lose Eric Gilbert, so they lose two of their top three receiving threats from a year ago, and they get Boutte back. Does this receiving group take a step forward? Are they about the same, or do they take a step back because they lost those guys? Once again, only time will tell, but he's at least got the offensive line. That's a better situation than what Bo Nix is in with his offensive line and his receiving core, where you've said this a couple times, do you really care that they brought back that offensive line from last year? They were bad for Auburn, and then the receivers, you lost to everybody. So Bo Nix in a tough situation, he's going to have to have complete ownership of his position and he's going to have to help elevate the game of his receiving core and you hope that his offensive line gets better as well. I agree, and as far as LSU's receiver room, you say all, only time will tell, but I do believe guys like Keyshawn Boutte are going to be able to to play well. I think he's going to have maybe a thousand yard season. He did; say, he had 735 yards as a freshman. Put it, give him a 12 game season. I think he's going to be playing pretty well. But you're, is Boutte enough though? That's it, the real question. Right outside of him, there's not a whole lot of production returning. And again, you lose a guy like Eric Gilbert, who would have been a key piece in this offense. But I think this receiver room. I think LSU recruits at a talented level, but their coaching, man, their coaching is not quite there especially on the defensive side of the ball. But the reason that I have Miles Brennan or Max Johnson at four is because, again, I think they're going to be able to throw the ball around the yard and put up a lot of numbers. And at the end of the day, whenever you look at them statistically, statistically, you'll say, well, the offense was good. The offensive line allowed them to play quarterback well, and they, they performed whenever they needed to against decent competition. So that's the reason why I put the winner of that quarterback job at number four. Into the top three, and this is where you actually get to some real NFL arms. I got Bryce Young at number three, mainly because he hasn't played yet. We really haven't seen enough out of Bryce Young. He hasn't played hardly at all. He's gotten into the scrub games. But you can only imagine that with his supporting cast around him, with the offensive line, with the receivers, with the running backs, that Bryce Young is going to do just fine. I agree. I have Bryce Young a little bit higher on this list. Really? I have Matt Corral at number three as really? my number three SEC quarterback, simply because again, I think scheme wise, this this almost uh, offense does a lot of good things. Even running the ball, it, it, it complements Corral's ability to pass the ball deep down the field. Corral led the nation's number seven passing offense in the country. Keep in mind that was only third in the SEC. Three hundred and forty-four yards a game 
passing-wise for Ole Miss. 29 touchdowns, four, 14 interceptions for Corral. Obviously, we all remember that five or six interception game six. against Arkansas. But I think he's going to be able, again, scheme-wise, I think Lane Kiffin's going to be able to get him to that to elevate him to that level to where we, we look at the end of the season and we say, yeah, that's the third-best quarterback in the SEC. Is 22 pass attempts enough for you to have Bryce Young higher than three on your list? So the reason that I have Bryce Young at my number two is because, again, talking about scheme with Ole Miss, Alabama, I don't think, I think whoever you put in at that quarterback spot is going to be able to play well simply because of the talent around them and the scheme that they have. I think Bill O'Brien, not a great game manager or GM, but he's a really good offensive mind. Alabama constantly, consistently reloads whenever they have quarterbacks issues or whenever one leaves. I think Bryce Young is very talented. It's 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 very different from the Emory Jones situation because you can point at it and say, well, you don't think Emory Jones is going to be very good and he's not because simply because he hasn't had enough of a sample size. No, I think the talent at Alabama is far superior to the talent at Florida that the situation he's going to be put in is so good that he is going to excel and he is going to play as good as the number two quarterback in the SEC can. It's it's it, Whenever you look at the Bo Nix situation, it's like, well, it's a five-star quarterback as well why hasn't he panned out like you mentioned the situation that he has been in over two seasons in Auburn he doesn't have enough talent around him to consistently play at a five-star level I think Bryce Jones can and when uh, I I say again whenever you look at the end of the season you're going to look at this guy and you're going to say yeah he is one of the top quarterbacks in 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 the SEC and I think a lot of it right now in my mind has to do with the, the scene around Bryce Young so you've got him at two I've got him at two I've got JT JT Daniels of Georgia at two. And the big part of that for me, I think that the scheme at Georgia at times has held back their quarterbacks. We saw Jake Fromm regress. Jacob Eason transferred, right? The scheme has not done Georgia favors at the quarterback position. But last year, at the end of the season, when JT Daniels starts taking over, JTD starts taking over, what happens? The Georgia offense evolved a little bit they started being able to throw the football down the field he only had 119 pass attempts but he had over 1200 yards guy only had 80 completions once again had over 1200 yards he was averaging like over 300 yards a game when he was out there on the field we're not used to seeing Georgia teams averaging over 300 passing yards a game this is like Matthew Stafford level quarterback ability I say ability it's got to be realized the potential has to be realized for JT Daniels at quarterback but 10 touchdowns two interceptions really a small sample size for JT Daniels I love his arm ability I'm still terrified of regression because of the scheme and how stale it is it's like we're living 15 years ago when you watch Georgia in this offense and they're 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 more pro style committed than they are to some modern day tendencies on the offensive side of the ball we've seen some quarterbacks regress there I'm curious to see what happens with JT Daniels year two but in terms of arm ability this may be the the purest passing quarterback that we've seen since Matthew Stafford. I agree, and that's the reason why I have him at number one is because there's so much potential for a guy like JT Daniels, and I understand what you're saying about the scheme and that it, it, it's very similar to what was going on 15 years ago in the SEC, but this kid can throw the ball deep. He's got an incredible arm. Like you mentioned, 1,200 yards in only three or four games for the Bulldogs. Played fantastic there at the end of the season. They scored 31, 45, 49, and then 21 against a pretty good, or 24 rather, against a really good Cincinnati defense in that Peach Bowl. But he's got all the talent in the world. And I think Todd Munkin in this in this scheme needed a guy like JT Daniels to fully realize their potential. You talk about, well, the scheme will hold them back. I think JT Daniels... It, he, he's the answer to making this scheme work. And again, I talked about it earlier. 
their two top returning receivers had over 14 yards per catch. They're able to stretch the ball and they're downfield. They're able to score a lot of points, complement that with a solid running game. And again, it's very similar to Alabama. Even though they don't return a whole lot of starters on the offensive line, I think the talent level that Georgia recruits at, they'll be able to get him in a comfortable situation where he is playing at an elite level. So I have him over Bryce Young simply because I believe that at the end of the day, I think he will be a more pure passer and a better quarterback overall than Young. But they're both in very, very good situations as far as the talent that surrounds them my number one Matt Corral so me and you just kind of switched around our top three there my number one Matt Corral because the number he's going to put up he's not going to have a six interception game next year I don't believe and that's going to seriously trim down his picks which is which the biggest thing holding people back with Matt Corral is how many picks he threw but you can't deny his passing statistics last year a 70.9 completion percentage with over 300 pass attempts last year one of the most pass happy offenses in college football and he had a 71% completion percentage. That's absurd. 29 touchdowns, 3,337 yards. If you can trend down the picks, I don't know how you don't look at this guy as being. I, I, I could understand Bryce Young in Alabama if he has a standout year this year and year one, considering the scheme and, and the supporting cast. And then you also talk about JT Daniels' passing ability and how that translates to the league. But man, Matt Corral, the way that he played last year, and if you can take off some of those picks he 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 I, I numbers wise I don't know if anybody's gonna pass him and it's a shame that Elijah Moore he doesn't have that guy this season but again you talk about scheme fit it could be a three-star receiver and I think Lane Kiffin's going to be able to figure that out and get Matt Corral in a good situation offensively now I don't I don't know if overall they'll be able to and that may hamper Ole Miss a little bit but Matt Corral really talented We'll be back on the other side of this break. Shane, stay on the line with us. We'll get you in just a few moments. We got to head to a quick break here, and then we'll come back to wrap up the show. On the line on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM and ESPN 106.7. Wrapping up the Tuesday edition of On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you. We got three minutes left in the show. We got a caller squeezing in here with us just before we get out. We got Shane on the line with us. Shane, what's on your mind, my man? Hey, guys. How are y'all doing today? We're doing good. Had a good weekend. Hope you did, too. Yeah, it was pretty good. Pretty long. Um, guys, how how do y'all give Bryce Young a number two or number three spot when he hasn't played a game yet? And the, he has a new new new, uh, new coordinator, correct? And so the scheme is not like it has been the past few seasons with with uh, Sharkeesian. So so new new coordinator, new quarterback. So simply because the rest of the team is is as good, he gets he gets number two spot in the entire SEC. Well. Don't get me wrong here. I still I still see former five star quarterback, and I think man that that he's got to be good, right? And, and you look at the track record for Alabama and who they've recruited, they end up being good at whoever they put there or anywhere on the field. So I do put a lot of stock into into, into his hype coming out of high school still. But and you're right, it is a new coordinator with Bill O'Brien. But Bill O'Brien has as good a reputation as anybody when it comes to offensive scheme, not not team building in Houston. That was horrendous, but. The Texans right. could still so, score. So doesn't Bobo have the – I mean, I'm not saying Bo is, is one, two, three, four, five. I don't know what he is. But, but if we're using that kind of logic, doesn't Bobo have the same sort of record with, with quarterbacks? He does. It's been a little while. It's been a little while. It's been since like 2012 since we've really gotten to see that when he was at Georgia because he took that time away to try and go and be head coach at Colorado State. And then this past year, I, I don't even count it against him because South Carolina's – ship had already sunk when he got yeah. there but 
you know it's been a little while and some people wonder if the game's passed him by that's the critique there I don't think it has I've got Bo Nix at four on my list I you know I, I yeah uh, yeah I heard that that's good I, I don't think that uh that that Bryce Young or whoever is going to be quarterback at LSU I don't see the logic in that there's not even a quarterback and we're thinking because of the team not of the play, of the, because of the player so anyway guys regard, regardless I still enjoy listening to you guys and and um, getting me riled up but War Eagle, y'all have a good y'all have a good afternoon. Bye. You too, Shane. Appreciate you calling in, Shane. The number to call three three four three two one thirteen ninety. But we only have a minute left of the show, so save thoughts for tomorrow. We want to hear we want to hear from folks, Lance. That that, that it seems like the issues with your list. Yeah, I think I think it's a fair shake. I think it's reasonable to say because again, I even said myself is like, well, you, you said the exact same thing about Emory Jones. It's like, well, he hasn't had enough time to be a really good SEC quarterback. So why don't you have him even in your top five? And again, it comes back to scheme and situation. I think if you put Bryce Young in Auburn situation right now, he's not going to be as good as he would be in a Bill O'Brien system in Alabama. It's talent, it's scheme, it's situation, and I think that's what's eventually going to make him the number two. I'm projecting that he will be the number two quarterback in the SEC because history tells us with the Crimson Tide, no matter what they have to replace, they replace it and they play well. So it's not necessarily that he's the greatest quarterback in the world, I just think he's stepping into a really good situation. Sure. That's it for the Tuesday edition of On the Line. We want to say thank you to Shane again for calling in. And we'll be taking your calls again tomorrow. We'll see you tomorrow. Same time, same place. You know where to find us.